This episode is sponsored by Newcom, and as many of you know, I only bring sponsors onto this show whose products I truly swear by. Now, we are an overworked and underslept population, especially those of us that wear uniform for a living. And trying to reclaim some of the lost rest and recovery is imperative. Now, the application of this product is as simple as putting on headphones and a sleep mask. As you listen to music on each of the programs, there is neuroacoustic software beneath that is tapping into the actual frequencies of your brain, whether to upregulate your nervous system or downregulate. Now, for most of us that come off shift, we are A, exhausted, and B, do not want to bring what we've had to see and do back home to our loved ones. So one powerful application is using the program PowerNap, a 20-minute session that will not only feel like you've had two hours of sleep, but also downregulate from a hypervigilant state back into the role of mother or father, husband or wife. Now, there are so many other applications and benefits from this software, so I urge you to go and listen to episode 806 with CEO Jim Poole. Then download Nucom, N-U-C-A-L-M, from your app store and sign up for the seven-day free trial. Not only will you have an understanding of the origin story and the four decades this science has spanned, but also see for yourself the incredible health impact of this life-changing software. And you can find even more information on Nucom.com. Welcome, guys, to the Behind the Shield podcast. My name is James Gearing, and this is episode 155. And it was an absolute honor last week to go and visit Ernest Emerson, who's been on the show, and then sit down with Hoist Gracie in his gym in L.A. Um, I wanted to make this interview different than some of the ones that have been put out before. Uh, I'm sure that most people listening to this are aware of Hoist's early career in the UFC, of his family creating the UFC, of the explosion of jiu-jitsu, you know, ultimately from the Gracie family. So I wanted to, to kind of, again, explore the space between the lines. So we delve into bullying and, and what is bullying, um, firearms, striking within jiu-jitsu, the competition element of jiu-jitsu, um, and then most importantly, how that applies to us, the first responders and, and the soldiers of the world. So an amazing conversation. He's so nice, so humble, um, and was just a wealth of information and was so gracious to give me an hour of his time face-to-face in LA. So that being said, as I always say, please go to your podcast app, rate the show, leave feedback. I love to hear feedback from you guys. And then most importantly, share these episodes. These incredible men and women take you know, an hour, two hours of their time to sit down and share their knowledge. And my only goal of this podcast is to get all these great episodes to the ear holes of every single person who needs to hear it around the world. So with that being said, I introduce to you Hoyce Gracie. Enjoy. So we are here in um, Ernest Emerson's knife factory, um, and I'm sitting across from Hoist Gracie. So firstly, I want to say... And that's the sound of the machinery sometimes you hear on the back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you hear weird noises, that's that. Um, 
as far as rank, what is the appropriate? I heard people refer to you as master. I, I, what was hoist? Hoist. Okay, I just want to make sure I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm being respectful. Um, so just before we start with the questioning, what I don't want to do today is ask the same questions that I've heard you get asked a lot. You know, tell me about the UFC. What was it like fighting three men? Um, I'd love to to explore more of the the law enforcement, military, um, sport versus combat, that kind of thing. Um, but that being said. One of the fascinating things to me is is the birth of jiu-jitsu, especially with your father not being, you know, born a big, strong, burly man and, and his road there. So could you just give me some, just a kind of cliff notes of the introduction of how the Gracie family even got introduced to jiu-jitsu? Um, my father was very small, weak. I mean, I relate to him a lot. If you put me in the gym, um, I'm not, I cannot, I don't have that much strength. Lifting weights, strength-wise, I don't consider myself strong. But if we roll, you're going to say, oh my God, you're so fast, you're so strong. And that's comments that people made it about my father, even late in his life. And the people that met him and had a chance to train with him, um, comments that people would make was, wow, this nine-year-old man is so strong, so fast. How can a nine-year-old man be strong or fast? He couldn't do a push-up, so he was not strong. He could not outrun a two-year-old. That means he was not fast. What he had was perfect leverage. That made him strong. He had perfect timing. That made him fast. So he grew up with jiu-jitsu totally changed his life. He was small. He was a, such a small stature person. He was the, 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 the little guy that sits on the eight-man rowing boat. He's the little guy that sits there timing and making the pace for the, for the rowers, for, for the, the big cops. guys, for the, yes, yeah. for the big guys that they're, they're rowing the boat. So. That, that was my father. Until Jiu-Jitsu gave him all the power. Now, was he... Confidence. I, I'm sorry to interrupt. Was he being so small? Because I know this is something that you have have brought such value to now. But was he, even at that age, was he bullied because he was small? Was there any of that element of it? Or or was he just just small but not really having any reason to defend himself at that point? Okay. It's the bullying part. Mm. We got to describe what's bullying. Mm -hmm. I just had a kid the other day came up to me in my class, about 12, 13 years old, and said, hey, I'm getting bullied at school. Do you have anything for that? During the seminar. I look at him, I was like, what do you mean you're getting bullied at school? Well, the kids play rough and, well, that's how big boys play. Mm -hmm. People play rough. And I walk by him and I say, and I bump shows with him and they bump shows and he's like, yeah. I was like, well, that's not bullying. Sorry, definition of bullying is three of them jump on you and beat you up. Yes. But because they're talking bad about you, I told him, dude, either you walk away, they play rough. What do they do? They, they give you a wedgie. <laughs> the adults do that to each other. Yeah, it's like well, big kids. In the firehouse, we they definitely see. do. <laughs> so it's like they play rough. 
you don't like it, walk away. Simple as that. Like on the, the, the social media. I don't like it because on the group, everybody, leave the group. Mm-hmm. Well, but I, I like them as a friend. They are not your friends. No. Or I told him, play rough back to them. Mm-hmm. They'll respect you if you play rough. Yeah. You see, bullies, they beat you up and they force you to do things. They're not beating you up. They just play rough. They pass by and they push each other. We do that as an adult all the time. Mm-hmm. You see? So, I mean, I told him, it's like, well, but they talk bad. They talk, they call me names. But you want to be with them, but they call you names. But you're so respectful that you don't want to call names back. I said, add that your mama in there. He's like, what do you mean? <laughs> I said, well, you're ugly. Your mama is ugly. <laughs> yeah, oh. I think, where have you been? Oh, just got back from your mom's house. It's yeah. always a good it's like, response. <laughs> it's a, add whatever they tell you, you just add uh, your mama in there. He start <laughs> laughing. He's like, I like that. <laughs> See, so he learned. So, so, I mean, if my father was bullied, I don't know. Because he had older brothers with him the whole time. Mm-hmm. Four older brothers. So, I assume they all stick together. <laughs> yeah. So, so your 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 uncle was the one initially that learned from the Japanese. Uh, was the businessman? Is that right? Yes. Okay. The Japanese general was doing. Uh, Maeda was doing business in Brazil with my grandfather, and in exchange of good faith, they taught. He taught my uncles the art of jiu-jitsu. My father, who wasn't able to really jump in and learn right away, because he was too weak, so sat down, watched my uncles learn and later on start teaching and he just memorized on his mind. He developed an easier way for him to do it. Mm-hmm. He didn't invent a new art. He just modified a couple of steps, made it easier. So one day my uncle was late for a class. My father stepped in, told the student, hey, I'm not instructed, but I can review the moves with you. And as he taught the student a class, the student liked it so much that by the time my uncle got back and said, hey, I'll replace, sorry, I was late, I'll replace the class, the student said, no, 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 I don't mind. From now on, I would like to take class from Elio Grayson. And that's how my uncle's like, whoa, what did you do? What did you show him? Yeah, and it was probably seeing, like you said, such a small stature man still, you know, able to pull off the same things that the, the bigger... And the U- men in the class using, were. Using leverage. Yeah. Yeah. Not relying on strength and speed, but leverage and technique. Yeah. And it was, you know, obviously we're going to talk about the journey here, but I'm, as you, you know, we're sitting across from each other. I'm not a big man either, you know, and, and I've trained all my life to, to get as strong as I can for my, my work being a fireman. But when we were younger, you heard like Wing Chun. It was invented by, by a small woman and you know, that's the, the smaller man's art. But I think that jujitsu was really the first time that you saw genuinely that it wasn't down to size anymore, you know, because boxing, yeah, I mean, it's great, but a bigger boxer is still going to knock out a smaller boxer. But watching you in the UFC, you know, definitely redefined that. Because nobody ever put it to the test in boxing. They say, well, the lightweight boxer, he's the most complete, he's fast, he's having doings, he's better technique. The heavyweight only got power. So, but they never put it to the test with no time limit, no weight vision, no gloves. And that's what we did. Mm-hmm. It was more like a quest 
that my family had. Yeah. So, so you were one of seven boys. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So, I read that your dad didn't force you to do jujitsu. Like you, when you organically were ready, that you started training. Is that right? We go to the academy more like um, play. We go play. Go hang out. You don't have to do it. Just hang out. Put the gear on. Just run around. So we get used to. We get comfortable. Like being over here at the Knife Factory, Emerson Knife Factory. So just the kid grow up seeing the knives, how the imagine a little kid running around. It, for him, becomes so natural. Mm-hmm. Soon enough, yeah, I know how to make a knife. He doesn't even know how. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't know how did he learn. Yeah, it's just organically just, absorbed it's it. There is, you see, same thing with us. We grew up on the mat, so and. Uh, Growing up on the mat is before we know. We know jujitsu. Mm-hmm. How don't even know. <laughs> right, and, and at that time, um, you know, had had you, uh, what's the right way of saying it? But before, when you weren't doing jujitsu, what was your journey like? I mean, like you said, you're organically doing it, but when you were kind of had that moment where you're like, okay, now I'm actually focused on this. I'm going to the dojo to to learn. Um, you know, what was that journey like for you? Uh, I was about 14, 15 years old. That's when the, my father said, hey, start with like, with uh, 14 years old, you start to, okay, can you cover this, this class? Teach a class. Can you, um, you need to teach a class. You need to, can you cover for us? So it started like this. Okay. So yeah, so so you guys again weren't being groomed as fighters. You no, were being groomed as teachers. My father didn't teach us how to fight. He taught us how to teach. Fighting was just on the side. It's like, please let me do it. Let me do it. Please, I want to do it. Family did. I want to do it. Nah, you're not made for this. <laughs> <laughs> Reverse psychology. What? What do you mean I wasn't made for this? <laughs> I'll show you. <laughs> let your other brothers do it. What? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and so, so how, and because I know this has been discussed and I've heard people talk about it and uh, I'm sure you've been asked a thousand times, so I apologize. But of the seven, what was the, the underlying reason that you ended up being that person representing the Gracie family in the UFC? The other brothers and cousins would have done the same thing. But let's say, I don't know, I never asked my father, but I'm assuming because of looks. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> smoking <laughs> hot. <laughs> um, um, I think uh, some of the brothers, my cousins, were more aggressive. More already had tons of fight in the street, and being too aggressive sometimes would not show the technique that my father, the harder wants to show. Um, some were too light, some were too heavy, so. Put a cousin or brother to fight somebody 220 while he weighed at 200, 195. It's like, eh, it's very close weight, so it's, it won't show the technique. And being aggressive, you might take the guy down and just beat him up instead use the, te- the clean technique. So I would say a combination of peaceful, being controlled with... Um, um, listen to him 
to my father, to Horion, being on the right weight at this, the right time, 178, not too big, not too small. So combination of all. Okay, yeah. So that was, that was a, a very good strategy. So you were strong enough to deal with the big guys, but not so strong that you could overpower them instead of and use the, the pure jiu-jitsu. The physique of 200 pounds fighting at 210 pounds. It's like, yeah. It wouldn't be as impressive. Yeah. Well, it was certainly impressive. And what about, because I've always observed this, and I haven't heard you talk about this in, in interviews that I've heard, but you have this jujitsu technique. Obviously, you're, you're a phenomenal athlete, but the resilience, you know, to, to get in here, the times that you were hit, um, and, and fighting through the power of some of these big, big men. Where did you get that resiliency from? Actually, I didn't get that many hits, man. You count on your hands how many times I got hit. <laughs> oh, that's poor. Yeah, but, but even so, I mean, it wasn't that many hits. I don't like to get hit. And people ask me all the time. It's like, hey, do you learn? Did you learn how to get hit? No, I don't like to get hit. I don't want to learn how to get hit. So it's just committing to the technique yep. and the takedown or whatever it is, and yep. not thinking about good if you get notion caught. of good notion of distance for that not to get hit. I mean, I, on the way in, I control the opponent. In such a way, can always know where his hands are, so don't leave a hand free to take a hit. So I'm not concerned about beating him up and he hitting me back. No, more about controlling the opponent, subdue him when time is right. If I have a chance, I would hit it. Now, had you fought different quote unquote styles before that specific event? Because I'm assuming in in your world, you were, you were fighting with a lot of people that were also doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in your family. So, um, The training was done with the students. So on the first UFC, there was no... We didn't know who we were going to fight until two days before, a day before. So I had to get some big guys because I might end up fighting the rest Sparring with the big guys, spar with the kung fu guys, spar with the kickboxers, with the judo guys, the wrestler, spar with the students that I had at the time. Have you done any martial arts? Oh yeah, yeah I done kickboxing. Okay, put the gloves on, suit up, <laughs> let's go, <laughs> and use the guys. You see, so it was pretty much the students helped me out. How many training. sumo wrestlers did you have in your gym? Not many. <laughs> that must have been a hard one to prepare for. Not many. <laughs> All right, well then, so I really want to uh, explore the work that you guys, the changes that you've made in the military and, and law enforcement. So after the UFC and the success, I know some of the military units reached out to you. What, you know, we're not, not um, putting down what they were doing at the time, but what were some of the things that, that, that they were focusing on in their, their uh, combatives at the time and what did you bring to the table? I think, to focus more on like an old style of stand-up karate martial art in general. So all of the service were doing that. But then they realized, hey, there's more than that. Then sometimes it's not just one punch, knock the guy out. Sometimes we gotta grab, we gotta take him down, we gotta like the cops, we gotta arrest him. We can't be punching him or shooting them. And 
punch him on the face, knock his teeth out. Now he sues the department. Mm-hmm. So it's we gotta rest him. It's our job. Put the hands on, not just block a punch and punch right back or kick or so they realize that by seeing the UFC. Yeah. There is more than just stand up. Yeah, and then uh with the areas of the weapons too, with with did the jujitsu allow more weapon excuse me, weapon retention and, and focusing on that as well? Because you think about that and I want to talk about Tim Kennedy a little bit and the training I did with him. You don't think about that. You know, you're, you're tussling with someone. All of a sudden, you realize that you've got a weapon that they could kill you with strapped to your body. Yes, you bring the toys to the fight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they use, they try to go for it. So, yes, that's something that Horde and I adapt, modified a little bit for law enforcement. Yes. Right. And then and another thing I heard you talking about with the military side is just that confidence. And that makes perfect sense to me. Like I think the, the discussion you had with Ernest, I believe it was, um, most of the time a soldier is going to be using his weapon, his rifle, um, his or her, excuse me. But um, knowing that if that's taken away, that you still have that next set of ability, it gives you the confidence to use that that rifle without, you know, the, the fear of losing it. But that was, um, um, at the time, it was Colonel McChrystal that told me, hey, my soldiers will never use it. I was teaching the Army Rangers. I was like, so why did you hire me? He said, because I want you to give them enough confidence that if they drop down all their weapons, they can go across any field and beat anybody with their hands. Like, But they will never get this close to do it. I was like, fair enough. But that was the old style war. Mm-hmm. So at the time he was current, I was general, retired general. Stanley McChrystal. Yeah, yeah, so, but... But that was the old style. But now it's like more of a hand-to-hand. The whole war thing changed for the soldiers. They got to put the hands on. And a lot of the times they're having to arrest the suspects to interrogate, to ask questions, to, you see, move them. And so it's hands-on a lot. It changed instead just come in and shoot from far away. Yeah. And I see that even with... um with the, the the law enforcement, even civilians, though, obviously we're in America. I'm from England originally, so we don't walk around with guns on us. But here, the you know the chances of someone being armed, I mean, it's, it's so easy. You just go in, you know, you get a license, and that's it. Um, what I've noticed in some of the people in in the states is that's their go-to thing. So they don't exercise, they don't do any martial arts, and they only own a gun. And and what's kind of scary is that that means then that's your only go-to so if we get into an altercation all i know is to pull out my gun obviously as you were saying nine times out of ten nine point nine times out of ten that's not going to be appropriate it's again um okay most likely people don't walk around with a gun people that i know most of them keep their guns at home most of like myself is I'm a fan. I'm a fan of weapons. I just like all the weapons, bow, knife. You see, I just like all of them. So it's not like I'm going to get a 50 cow and walking down the street <laughs> to go to the supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> but the scary though is in Florida, you can't. It's not open carry, but it's concealed. And I, I noticed when I, when I reviewed the rules here, Obviously, it's very different in California. You can, there's no conceal, I don't believe. But 
in Florida, it's amazing how many people are walking around with a gun. Yep. But, um, yeah, if they have to know how to use, when to use, majority of the people, I think, have to take a class or the states require you to, for you to have a concealed carry mm-hmm. weapon. Yep. They have to take a class and when to use and how to use it. And But knives will do more damage and kill more people than guns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a big epidemic in London at the moment. Yep. Huge one. Because they know nobody have a gun, not even the cops. Now the cops are starting to carry some this special police in London, in England, now they carry the weapon, but but until not too long ago, not even the cops had it. And the guy pulled out a knife and started to cut people's head off in the city and nobody did a thing about it. I think there was a soldier that did that it was, too, right? Yes. It was a soldier. Yeah, it was two, two, I think they were from some some part in Northern Africa, but yeah, they were basically They got know, a soldier, extremist. there was like two or three of them, they got a soldier, got a hold of a soldier in the broad daylight cut his head off, nobody stepped in to do a thing. They only had knives. And the whole crowd stood there in shock. Or France, that the guy was walking down the street shooting people. And even if you had a gun and you shot to the air, they wouldn't have the freedom to go ahead and kill and shoot us walking down killing people as well. You didn't even have to shoot at those guys, the terrorists. Are you sure then? Just shoot it to the air if you had a gun. But again, nobody have a weapon. Sorry. And they know that. There's nothing you can do about it. No, and and they're one of the... I forget. I'm blanking on the name. But the big um, arena or or ballroom that that the uh, two of the terrorists were in, there was about a thousand people in there. And the one of the interviews of them, the lady was heartbroken because she realized... There was two or three terrorists and hundreds of us in this building. If we had just rushed them, maybe a few of us would have been hurt or killed, but we would have saved all those people that they slaughtered in the process. Yep. But I already put myself in the situation. I was in Spain not a couple of years ago with my son and my daughter. Nighttime, and there was some kind of festivity going on on the beach. And I look at my son, there's loads of people. And I was like, man... What if somebody pulls a gun and starts shooting the crowd random? We can be st- stepping over people or be stepped over by people because the crowd is going to disperse, going to run out of different directions. What would you do? I asked him. You look at me. He asked, what would you do that? He asked me back. I said, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you to grab your little sister, run inside the restaurant, Get her in there. And I'm going to run to the bullet. Save the last one is mine. <laughs> <laughs> the last one, give it to me. It's my bullet. I'm going to run to the bullet. He's like, Dad, I'll put the sister inside the restaurant under a table and I'll run right after you. <laughs> <laughs> that's the mentality. Mm-hmm. And that's you the see? mentality of a lot of people listening. It's, you know? it's, it's not run away. The guy pull out a gun and start shooting. Hey, I had a good life. I'm good to go. Hope to hang around long enough to see my kids grow. But <laughs> go right after the bullet. Once I put the little girl in, in a safe spot, give me that last bullet. It's mine. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, and it's, I've been on an interesting journey because I grew up in England. I was very opposed to to guns initially, and I had guns growing up on a farm. But the you know the the armory that I saw some of my American friends accruing whilst not exercising and not doing martial arts. Um, but then it was actually Tim Kennedy, the UFC fighter and uh, ranger, and he kind of reprogrammed the way because he's like, "What if, like we said, what if you are parked outside the school?" And you see the guy walking towards your child's school and you're unarmed. If you have a position to protect other people, that changed it with me. It wasn't about me thinking like I'm terrified of the world and you know everyone's trying to murder me. It's what if you could stop some of these horrible tragedies just by having an extension of your body, which is the firearm. If I can if I have the firearm, yes. But even if I don't have it, I'm gonna sacrifice. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go right through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He'll miss. <laughs> Zigzag. <laughs> he'll be like, holy shit, it's hoist but, crazy, and he'll just freeze for a second. Even, <laughs> even if it's not a, a gun, if it's a, a knife, the amount of damage somebody can do with a knife. In Israel, they're having a big problem because they just come in and just surprise, you start to stab people. It's like out of nowhere, random. It's not like they're targeting somebody. But the Israelis are sending me views like, look at this, man. You can't be relaxed in the mall. The no. guy passed by you and just stab you out of surprise. It's like out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. In Australia, I happened to have uh, one of the students from one of the schools I was teaching. The guy walking down the street, pushing a stroller with a woman next to him. Bump shoulders with a student, crowd at eight o'clock at night, crowd the street, just bump shoulders. The student turned around, the guy let go of the stroller and had a razor blade on his finger and just cut his face, 37 stitches across his face. Oh my God. While the student dropped, the guy grabbed the stroller and walked away. There was no cameras. Everybody paid attention of the man bleeding on the floor. So the, the suspect, the, the just grab the, the stroller and walk away. Disappear. Never found him. Wow. And did he have anyone that was... He suspected it was, it was against him or was it just no, random? It was just random. Busy street, just passing by. The guy was pushing the shoulder. They bump shoulders. One of those... Whoa, what are you looking at? What are you looking at? They just... And the guy just had a razor... Wall pushing the shoulder with a razor blade in between his fingers. He wasn't in intention of doing something mm-hmm. already. Yeah. You see, you don't walk down the street pushing a shoulder with a razor blade in between your fingers. No. The guy never saw. What, he, what happened is he took a slap to the face. Sliced cut his face open. and just grab the shoulder and walk away. Yeah. Unbelievable, the world that we live in. Well, you talk about the, the armed police. I, I had a, a friend of mine who's one of the armed policemen in London. And he said just the other day, someone came up to one of the other police officers, just asked them the time. When he looked down at his watch, he, mm. he stabbed him in the neck. Luckily, the police, police officer survived. Wow. But again, unprovoked, just, just purely targeting there a police officer. There is crazy people out there. Mm-hmm. There's, let's live in a peaceful world. I understand. I want to find that world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but in the meantime, be ready. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with being ready. On These people say the same thing about martial art. Why am I going to learn martial art? I don't want to beat up anybody. No, you're not going to learn to beat up. You're going to learn to defend yourself. That's what, that's, that's what we tell people. We don't teach people how to punch somebody, how to 
choke people out. No, we teach people how to defend themselves. My father never taught me how to fight. He taught me how to teach the art of jiu-jitsu, not how to fight and go pick a fight. And I never had a fight in the street. Never walk away from one. So, but same thing. Why you have a gun? Why would you have a knife or any kind of weapon? I mean, I do because I, I just love, fascinated by them, by the weapons, mm-hmm. by it. So, but people do because it's their home security. Mm-hmm. Is you see a way to stop something like Tim Kennedy said, something happening at the school. Hey, and it, and it happened in Brazil. There's a video of a woman in Brazil, a bunch of mothers and fathers waiting in the door of the school. The guy comes in, had a gun, and he was going to rob the mothers in the front of the school. A bunch of kids, kids just coming out. There was a female officer, off-duty, pull out her gun and shoot the guy right down the spot. People are like, oh my God, she's so violent. What? No. <laughs> no. She's so violent. He was just, a, he pulled out a gun. He was going to rob the people. And who knows what else he's going to do if he's going to just start shooting people. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing you don't. Once so, you pull that weapon out, you've, you've sealed your own fate. So she pulled out and shot him. I don't know if he killed or not, but shot him, put him on the ground and waited. Yeah. Well, I want to I wanna transition to something um, that I've observed and, you know, uh, I think a lot of people have, have asked to talk about this too. I, I put some some social media stuff bringing some questions to this too. Sport jujitsu versus self-defense. I, you know, you see, you see the, the, the sport side I did, and I've heard you talk about Taekwondo. I did Taekwondo and, you know, won all these plastic trophies, but then I, I train with someone like Tim Kennedy and we're using the, the weapons and he's showing, you know, the, the real world application. He's covering my mouth and nose and he's saying, I could dig my thumbs in your eyes. You realize if I have that, sport jiu-jitsu mentality only in the real world i'm going to put myself in some some bad situations so what's what's your not our views but you know what what's your input on when when we're going to a school what we should be looking for and, and thinking Marsh, about martial art in general was not made to score a point simple as that give me one martial art that was made taekwondo it was to defend yourself in a street fight. Kung Fu, same thing. To defend yourself in a street fight. Judo, wrestling, they're not, they're defend, I mean, they're fighting art. They're martial art, not to score a point. So most martial art today, all of them got ruined by competition, by point system. I understand for kids, Yes, you let the kids do the little competition, but once they become a school, um, a competition school, they revolve on scoring points. There's no points on the street. There's no time limit. There's no weight division. So most people that learn martial art, they learn martial art because they want to learn a self-defense because either something happened to them or they saw something happen to somebody, or maybe they saw in a movie, and that stays way on the back of their head. And they think, oh man, what if it was me? What would I do? 
you know what? I'm going to go learn Taekwondo. And then the guy's teaching him how to score points. It's like, not how to defend themselves. It's like, Satan came over here for that. Yeah. So, and it's easy to get pulled in because, like, like I said, I, I did very well in Taekwondo. And as we were talking before we started recording, and then I started boxing and got my ass handed to me. And then I started Muay Thai and then got my ass handed to me again. You know, so just like, there's that shiny trophy didn't mean anything as soon as other, you know, th- those rules were taken away and people were allowed to do more and more and more. And then you, I end up working or oh, training with the uh, shoot box. They had a gym in LA a few years ago just for, for a short amount of time. But that was jujitsu as well then. And each of those times you just humbled. And uh, I think understanding, like you said, why am I really here? I think it really does steer people to, to jujitsu. It's, I mean, most martial, I mean, all martial arts made, forget which one is better than the other, is for you to defend yourself in a street fight situation, not to score a point. So, same thing with jiu-jitsu. But people just don't know. It became, most schools today teach how to score a point and prepare you to compete in a tournament with time limit and weight divisions and and all kind of regulations and point systems and well that's not what my father created my father did not create did not teach the point system it was a self defense style so i have some other people asking about um their journey into jiu jitsu so what you see this this attrition rate obviously you get a whole load of white belts and then less blue belts and less purple belts what are some of the biggest mistakes that that people make when they first start training jujitsu? And I I just I just got my blue belt. I can genuinely consider myself a, a white belt still because I my training was very intermittent. But what are some of the reasons you see the you know, the, the white to blue people you know, the mistakes they make and then why they stop? Um, because it takes a long time. So people want to get a black belt in two years, not in jujitsu. Sorry. It doesn't happen, so it discourages a lot of people because they think that a belt will make them better instead just learn the art. You see, it's like um, I can go learn boxing. In 10 classes, I'll know everything about boxing. Do that make me a professional boxer? No. Why not? Because my time is going to be off. My power is going to be off and, and you see so but I know everything so people want fast reward so that's the main reason I think why people quit jiu-jitsu yeah. second one I think will, it'll be it's there's always going to be somebody that's better than you out there on the mat so it's a humble pie <laughs> sometimes people don't like that it's like ah he beat me I don't want to go back anymore Hey, he only makes you better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, I've seen it now in, in a couple of schools that I trained that you can't have an ego. I mean, you might be, yes. you know, a big fish in a small pond, but I'm, I'm the kind of guy that tries to seek out the higher belts because I know I'm going to get tapped again and again and again. But, you know, that's how, in my, in my opinion, that's how I learn. Obviously, rolling with mine, my, my equivalents as well, but 
I want to be challenged because out there I'm 170 yes. pounds. I'm built like a, you know, a stick insect. <laughs> um, I'm not, it's very unlikely that I'm going to have someone smaller than me if, yes. if it comes to that. So it's good. I mean, a lot of people don't like that. And they just want to win, win, win. Mm-hmm. We live in a little Johnny world, right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Everybody's a winner. It's like, ah, not really. <laughs> you got to tell, that's why I tell people you have to know how to lose. Yeah. Become Absolutely. the champion. You can't just win and no, you gotta know how to lose. Yeah. Well, my little boy's been training for I think it's five years now. Um, since he was six, he's eleven now. Um, and again, I, I have so much admiration for their their dojo because the same thing. He's a they've got those like child belts. He's an orange and, and white, but they won't have a blue belt even until. They they 16. get to that yeah to the adult age and I really yes. really love that because you see that you know you got a six year old black belt you, you can, like you cannot be a black belt in jiu-jitsu until you're eighteen mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah I just think that's great but watching watching my son come through the martial arts and watching the kids that have stuck around and some of the ones that were older when he started are now teaching the class and they're respectful and they're in shape. Yeah, people say, you know, how, you know, what's a good way to, to help with the parenting? And I've always said, I've always said martial arts, but more recently now, I would say jujitsu specifically. I would say sports in general teach the kids discipline in general. Um, soccer, you practice start at such a time. Sometimes the kids are out of, con- don't have the control of that because the parents are driving them, but they stay on top of the parents. Hey, I gotta go. We gotta go. They have to show up with a uniform. They have the seeds. So sport in general teach the kids discipline. Jiu-Jitsu is a little more hand-to-hand. It's that whole bullying goes away because it's a rough play. We learn how to play rough. It's okay to play rough. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, again, like we're talking about with the soldiers, that confidence as these kids... Uh, understand that they can get thrown away and not get hurt or thrown around and not get hurt they know how to deal with you know being grabbed then i think it it ends up being a bigger deterrent for them lashing out and then and then they exude more confidence which i think then dissuades some of the maybe potential bullies it's yeah you're giving a uh, it's overall that's the main thing discipline and confidence not teaching the martial art, the, the art itself, it comes later, comes with time. But on the beginning, that's what we try to teach the students. In a very hidden way, in a very hidden, we don't tell them that's what we teach, but that's in a very hidden, as they learn the style, they get confidence, you see? Yeah. So... Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, like I said, I've, I've witnessed it and it's incredible. And even myself, I got into the martial arts kind of late. I think I was 15 or 16, but I went from. Oh, dude, you're old, man. Yeah, I know. I know. And then, <laughs> and then I told you, I, I basically fumbled my way through all the martial arts. If I'd known I should have just stuck with jujitsu and maybe some Muay Thai at the beginning, then, you know, I would have saved myself a lot of, uh, <laughs> humble pie. But, but, um, but, you know, it is, it, it's, it's incredible to see. Now, you, it seems like the the what you guys call the J, the Gracie lifestyle. So I'd love to explore that a bit. 
Um, I know you don't have a, a diet or anything like that. It's more the overall philosophy. So could you expand on that a little bit? It's a, I mean, we call it a Gracie diet. It's, but it's not really a diet. It's more of an eating habits. We eat everything. We just combine the food towards its digestion. So we don't eat pork. We don't eat the sea. I don't drink. Don't smoke. Never did. Um, don't eat spicy food. But we can eat everything. We just combine towards its digestion. We believe that all this sickness comes from, I mean, the body's been working out hard and working hard and stressed with everyday life. And then you eat some heavy food to digest. It sucks all your energy out. That's when you get sick. And then you blame the weather. You blame <laughs> everything else besides the food. Yeah. The air conditioning was on. It's like, what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm always busy. Yeah, that so much. It was off. It was hot outside. It was cold outside. You gave me a cold. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, the big one. <laughs> it's like, really? <laughs> People in Alaska would have been sick 365 days a year. Exactly. <laughs> and the people in Miami would have been sick because it's too hot. It's like, yeah, but no, it's because of the food that they eat. So they, but they don't look at that. They look at everything else besides the food. Yeah. Now, so speaking of food, you you didn't really cut weight for fights either, did you? You, you just fought the the weight Never. that you were at, pretty much. Walk around one seventy eight, fought on one seventy eight. Mm-hmm. And what's your what your view on cutting? Today I'm about one eighty. <laughs> but you're retired <laughs> <heavy> now. now. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, what's your view on 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 cutting and, and all those those rules in, in uh, combat sports? I understand. I don't agree with it. I understand that. If you weigh 180 and you drop down and fight at 155, you have the strength of 180 fighting a lightweight. But then they're both doing that. Mm-hmm. So they're both fighting yeah. a 180, hitting like a 180, the 155 division. It's like, I'm, I don't agree with it because if it was on the street, what are you going to do? Wait there, I'm going to go cut weight. I'll be back. Um, hold on, how much <laughs> do you weigh? Uh, excuse me can we come back next week <laughs> I gotta cut weight I gotta get in shape you gotta be ready all the time that's why I don't drink don't smoke you see yeah. never know so you gotta be ready it's not like I'm paranoid no I'm not but I'm aware of a walk into a place and I'll look everybody in the eyes and I'll see who is could it be a possible threat and looking at me strange and you see so Yep, it's self-defense. Yeah. That's what Tim Kennedy does in his classes too. I mean, he's probably one of the most dangerous people on the planet when you put a weapon in his hand as well. And um, he's there in Walmart surveying. And he's, you know, he's used to being in these these true war zones. But he, again, he says, I'm not paranoid. I'm not thinking that someone's going to jump from a tree every time I'm in the park. But I'm still I'm aware. aware of my, yeah, I'm aware of my surroundings. Yeah. That's, that's prevention again instead of... That's self-defense. Yeah. So what about your conditioning? Because I was kind of fascinated. Clearly, you know, I know that, that efficiency is a big part of, um, you know, jujitsu as well and being relaxed. But have, what was your conditioning like back in 94 and have, has, it, has it changed in any way? Um, first thing to win a fight, you got to know what you're doing. I don't know how to play rugby. <laughs> I don't know how to play cricket. I have no business in that field. 
You don't need another cricket. So, <laughs> <laughs> you got three days to spare. <laughs> um, but you, it's knowledge. Second, it becomes endurance. You can have the fastest car in the world. Without gas, what are you going to do? Push the car around? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not going too far? No. Nope. Your next door neighbor have a scooter full of gas. He's going to go much farther than you. Third becomes muscle power, horsepower. So in that order. So yes, everything I do is towards endurance. The training is all towards endurance. Not short, fast, and just powerful moves. No, it's towards endurance. Mm-hmm. And I think that applies very well to you know, a lot of people that listen to this, whether they're soldiers or police or fire is... You can't, as a firefighter, I can't muscle hose to your doorstep and then, oh, I'm sorry, I can't go inside and get your kids. I'm too tired now. You know, we need to have that strength, but we need to have that endurance over an hour, two hours. All you know, day. day. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You got to be all day, dear. It's not, you cannot just do for 15 minutes, 25 minutes. No. <laughs> but that's the way I train. My strength coach, James Strom. He's training my son now. My son just finished three rounds for Bellator in Israel. Won his fight. After the third round, he came up to the corner. It's like, can I do another round? I was like, no, it's over. <laughs> but people will say, well, he should have fought harder and leave in the cage. Well, that's how we build, man. He went back to the locker room and did another five minutes shadow boxing. Mm-hmm. So, kid got good endurance. Now, what took you to Bellator? Because I, I saw that you were you're were involved with Bellator, and you did was it Bellator you fought Ken Shamrock in a couple of years yes, ago? Yes, couple okay. two years ago it was my last fight. Right, my first knockout. <laughs> you see, it took twenty five years fighting. <laughs> one knockout, my last fight. <laughs> Never knock anybody out. Lot of arm bars and chokes. <laughs> so, well, speaking actually, that's something I meant to ask you as well. So, one of the people that that reached out had a question. And it's something I'm curious to the uh, bringing or, or involving striking in your jujitsu. What is your philosophy on on strikes as far as the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu model? The fight starts standing up. It doesn't start on the ground. So I always learn striking, but I mean I learned boxing, kickboxing, taekwondo. I took all lessons, karate. From all different, it's like a soldier that have to learn how to um, use the opponent, the enemy's weapon. You see, just in case. I learned more for me to know what's coming at me than that I'm going to use. So if I'm going to fight a boxer, I'll learn boxing. For me to know how he moves, what is he going to do to me? Not because I'm going to try to outbox him. That would be stupidity. Yeah. <laughs> So, yes, I learned stand-up martial arts all my life, all of them, for me to know how they move and what they're going to do, not because I'm going to do it to them. My thing was jiu-jitsu, it's getting a clinch. Yep, once, once, I, once I get in a clinch, once we go to the ground, then I'll start to throw hits, elbows, punches, if I have to, you see, to move him from point A to point B, not even to, I'm going to hit him so hard that I'm going to knock him out. Never thought of that way. The hits was light hits just to make him move, just to maneuver him. Brilliant. And so going back to the, the law enforcement, I just want to kind of highlight something. So you actually have a Gracie law enforcement course? 
Yes, I okay. do. So if you wouldn't mind telling the people listening, because there's going to be a lot of police officers listening to this. Go to my website, hoistgracie.com. And whenever, now we're finishing up the year, I only have one sketch, but I don't think it's on the website yet. But next, um, that I go every year, it's uh, more Oklahoma. And I teach over there every September, end of September, beginning of October. I go over there. It's more of a, an instructional course, teaching them how to teach the moves. Okay, like a training so trainer. So week, it's a week-long course, and then they go back to the department and teach. Right. Okay. And you're still working with the military even till today? Yes. Okay. I visit some groups. Like right now, I said, we're just finishing up the year, so I don't have anything. I just have uh, my last trip this year is actually Hawaii for Bellator. They're doing back-to-back show in Hawaii. They're actually doing one inside the base. I think it's inside the base, yes. Okay. For and you tro- still... For the troops. And oh, then, brilliant. Uh, on Friday and then Saturday for the for everybody else. Two shows, two days, back-to-back. Okay. And am I right in... I think I read somewhere that you were almost like an ambassador role now for Bellator where you're... So... so Because you see... <laughs> You've seen in the UFC, um, you know, back in the earlier days, obviously there were some real caricatures and, uh, actually had Dan Severn on a little while ago. Um, but then it seemed like the, the humility, the respect of, you know, what you think of as a martial artist was present for a long, long time. And now it seems like we're starting to see a trend of almost like WWE, you know, uh, showmanship is, is, is one of your roles to kind of bring everyone back to, to represent the sport properly? On Bellator, I talk to a lot of the fighters, teaching them how to behave and so they don't get carried away. Um, yeah, some of the other shows kind of encourage that, and that the people talk trash and be disrespectful and every way in push, push, shove, shove. There's no need for that. The kickboxing, I was just Bellator in... Um, in Italy, in Genova, it, Genova, Italy, and they had a kickboxing, Bellator kickboxing. Okay. And all the kickboxers are very respectful to each other. They stand there. There's no touching, pushing each other. And I tell the guys all the time, dude, you push him. He falls off stage and breaks his arm. Fight is canceled. Yeah. You don't get paid. And you get an assault charge probably. <laughs> you don't get you know? paid. You get an assault charge, you yeah. don't get paid. So watch it. But... They like to try to sell the fight, and I understand the sell in the fight. Sell it in the cage. That's what I tell them. Go over there and perform. Don't just talk. That will sell the next one. Don't just talk, 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 and then you get there, you get knockout. It's like really, all that talk, and you got, you got, you lose. Come on, man. Okay, so I want to just transition to some wrap-up questions and be mindful of your time. You've been given us an hour every time and i'm so so appreciative of that um first one i always like to ask people is there a book that you've read that you love to recommend it can be about jujitsu or something completely different man i'm not a big reader at all but i read genghis khan genghis khan i love it (laughs) guy was a genius in the art of war yeah he was pretty successful (laughs) (laughs) apparently we've all got his dna so (laughs) 
What about a, a movie and or a documentary? Because I noticed that there isn't actually a documentary about you. Not the one I could find. Not yet. I was going to say there needs to be one. Not yet. Working on it. Okay. All right. So the <laughs> um, potential Hoist Gracie one. Movie. I like I like Braveheart. I like Last of the Mohicans. The Godfather, of course. Romantic movies. <laughs> Um, and then is there a documentary that you that you've seen it can be about anything at all it doesn't have to be about jiu-jitsu I like about Pele Pele the footballer yes yeah. they just had one done not too long ago how he started looks pretty good I like it mm-hmm. yeah he was an icon I remember when I, when yes. I was tiny and you know Brazil was still destroying everyone in the World Cup yep. yeah what was the what was the team like this year uh, Brazilians are always good. They just can't play together. I was just in Italy, like I said, and they said the same thing. They're like, yeah, the Italian players, they're good. They're crazy about soccer, but they cannot play together. Put them to play as a team. Everybody's a superstar. Nobody, they don't, they don't, they, they can't function together. As a single players, they're awesome. Yeah, yeah, I think same thing with Brazil. Yeah, yeah, I mean England's the same as well. We got some great people. I think this squad that we just had this last time did very well, and I guess they're all super young. So I'm excited to see England because the next they one. play different countries. They never get to see each other. They never, so they meet up for one tournament. Mm-hmm. It's like for a couple months they train together, but they don't get along, and and everybody wants to be the king, and everybody wants to be the yeah, the superstar. The superstar, yeah. Mm-hmm. So they end up self-destroying themselves. Yeah, and losing the World Cup. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then um, uh, one of my favorite questions. Is there a person that you would recommend to come on this podcast to talk to the first responders, military of the world? I would love to have my father here. I would love to, too. Yeah. <laughs> too late. Yeah. Well, I mean, my God, did he leave a legacy, though? I mean, just it, it blows me away. I remember being in, in university and watching the, the VHSs of the first few. And then on my drive to come and see you, I, I lost count how many jiu-jitsu schools I drove by. So, I mean, that's a, a, a legacy that he can be proud of. Horton, my Horton. brother, he's the pioneer, the one who brought pretty much jiu-jitsu to America, create the UFC. Yeah, that, he would be another incredible one. Thank you. Um, all right, so the last one before we just make sure we talk about where we can find you and your seminars. What do you do to decompress when you're not teaching? I go shooting. I go for a run. <laughs> That's why I your do. eyes lit up when you saw Actually, that musket. I do. I, I do. That shooting for me, it's like, man, it's my time. Go. You can't be on the range having conversations and talking. And No, I'm concentrated down range and, yep. And always get better and faster and better. And you see, I love that. Stand up, pedal boarding, running. And have you been shooting a long time or is it something you got into more recently? Oh, no, I've been a long time. Long time. Lately, I started taking some lessons with uh, Terran Butler. Okay, because I've seen you posting some like Kill House stuff. Ter- Terran Butler is awesome. <laughs> He's for a guy who's big. He's super fast. My best time, I always mess with him. I do my best time on shooting, aiming, mm-hmm. and I tell him, 
you cannot aim. You got to shoot from the hip. And you have to be half of my time for you to beat me. <laughs> and he does. Oh my That's God. the impressive part. <laughs> it's like, ugh. <laughs> it makes me want to go back to the range again and practice some more. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, another one you see seems to be doing, you know, the jiu-jitsu and then the, the shooting as well is Keanu Reeves. Who's, yes. who's a, a guy He's been you training don't... with Taron Butler for quite a bit too now. Yeah, he'd actually probably be a, a good one to get Taron Butler too yep. on the show. But um, yeah, and, and I, I love him because you don't see him. When he's not making movies, he's not plastered all over the, you know, all the award ceremonies yes. in front of the paparazzi. Yeah. Seems like a very humble guy. Yes. Yeah. We met a term before. Oh, really? Yep. <laughs> very cool. All right. Well, the very last thing then, so I can let you go. Where can people find you, you know, your sites, your seminars? Um, Instagram, Real Hoist, R-E-A-L. R-O-Y-C-E, the real hoist. Um, Twitter is the same one. Um, seminars, I post all the seminars on my website, hoistgrace.com. Yep. Brilliant. All right. Well, um, <laughs> again, I just want to say thank you. I know that you know a lot of people out there do jiu-jitsu. It's, it's amazing to see so many people that follow are already in that, or they've got their kids in that, but it just, just to get to talk to you and, and you know the people that, that serve in their communities you know, hear your philosophy. I really appreciate that. You're welcome. You live here now. I live, live in, in England. I live in uh, America. I live in Florida. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so well, they're, I used gonna, to they're live doing here. a show in England. I think in February, they're doing a Bellator. Oh, really? Lo- uh, no, not London. Sorry, Newcastle. Oh. I think it's Newcastle. Okay. I think that's the first time they've had an MMA in, event in Newcastle. In Newcastle, I think it's the first time. Yeah. Yes. Excellent. So, well, if, I'll, if be, I'm I'll be there for that one. Okay. Well, yeah, let me know if you're ever in Florida. You got a place to stay. Thank you.